0: What an incredible passage that Margaret just read out. Isn't it amazing? And many people have said that's actually the most important or one of the most important passages in the whole Bible. It is just so incredible. Before I say it, what, what this passage is telling us, it's so easy for us to get into the mindset, and I get into this sometimes, to think, actually, I can't change in myself. I'm too weak. I just can't do it. I just need to pray and wait for one day to God to change me. But actually, this passage, Paul in this passage, tells us the exact opposite. He says there is something very simple you can do to change. And it is basically what Karen was saying. You need to know who you are. And not just know it, but to live who, to, to every day, to tell yourself who you are, who you are, who you are in Christ. What position you are in Christ. And then when you know that, it Paul says, it allows you to put to death, put to death our focus on the flesh. Our focus on worldly things. Our focus on often sin or trying to get satisfaction or happiness out of worldly things. Paul says, put it to death. So I'm often very wrong when I think, oh God, I can't do anything. I need you to just change me somehow. God, you need to do something in me. Actually, Paul is saying the opposite. No, you now are somebody incredible. You're a child of God. We need to wake up and know who we are and then put it to death. Imagine if a big snake crawled in here and it was trying to attack people and I had a sword. Uh, I just need to put it to death. Or do you remember that story in 1 Samuel when God tells Saul, Saul, you need to attack the Amalekites because their evil has been just so horrendous. You need to get rid of the whole town. All the cattle, all the sheep as well need to go. You've got to put them to death. But when Samuel the prophet comes, he says, Saul, what is that bleating of sheep and that lowing of cows that I hear in my ears? And Samuel, um, Saul just didn't have it in him to to put it to death. And I think sometimes fleshly things and worldly things, sin in our lives, is so enticing. We think, is that really that bad? It's so enticing and intoxicating. We fail to put it to death. I don't know if you've ever put something to death. When I was a teenager, my job in the family was putting cockerels to death because we had so many chickens. And when... Chicks hatch out cockles. You can't have ten cockles crowing every morning at four in the morning. They don't lay eggs either. And it's a horrible job. I never want to do it again. It's horrible. You feel sorry for the poor thing. But we have, you know, this picture, put it to death. In the Roman world, putting things to death would have been very normal. Public executions, animals all the time in the streets, probably being put to death. We need to put our obsession with the flesh, obsession with worldly things, to death. And the way to do it is to know who we are in Christ. And it says this amazing thing in verse 12. We have an obligation to not live to the flesh, but to live for the spirit. To put to death the misdeeds of the body. And in Romans 8, Paul tells us 10 really terrifying things about who we were before we were Christians. 10 terrifying things. We're going to look at those in a minute. Then he says 40 incredible things about who we are now that we are Christians. So what does it mean to live in the flesh? Well, I think it just means to have our focus on worldly things. Like... We are in this spirit now, our minds are meant to be set on heavenly things, on godly things. In 1 John 15, it says this: "Do not love the world or anything in the world. Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, does not come from the Father, but from the world. And in Romans 8, Paul is saying, "Put this to death. don't focus on the world." Um, I just want to tell you a brilliant story and you can actually watch this on Amazon Prime if, if you've got Amazon Prime. It's called Many Beautiful Things. Has anyone seen it? Well, no one's seen it. It's a new documentary about an artist that no one will have heard of called Lilius Trotter. I don't know if she's related to Captain Trotter who built this church. Probably might be. But she was born into a really wealthy family in England in the mid-1800s and when she was a teenager, or a child and teenager, her parents her, found out that she was the most incredible artist. She could just paint anything in the most beautiful way. So this was Lilia's Trotter. And she could just easily, naturally paint beautiful things. And one day, when she was 22 years old, she was staying in this hotel with her mum, and her, they realised this really famous artist artist called John Ruskin was living in the ho- was, Sorry, staying in the hotel. So the, her mum took her paintings and went to his room and said, please, can you look at my daughter's paintings? And he was blown away. She'd never had any training or anything. So John Ruskin took on Lilius as his apprentice. And he said to her, Lilius, you can easily, if you put your mind to this, if you set your mind to painting, you will be the best living painter in the world. And you will paint things that will be immortal, because you're so good at painting. <clears throat> but there was a problem in Lilius's life. She fell in love with Jesus. When her dad died, she just felt really, really like this huge hole in her life, and she made God her heavenly Father, and she got to know Jesus as her king. And she started doing strange things like she would go out alone at night and talk to the women who were like working on the streets, the prostitutes. She would go and bring them food and minister to them and talk, be a comfort to them and pray for them. And John Ruskin, who was one of the greatest celebrities around in those days, would say, what are you doing? You cannot do this, Lilius. You've got to stop. It's dangerous. And he noticed it was starting to distract her from her art. Lilius, you've got, you know, you could be the greatest in the world at art. Stop, stop doing these things. And as she grew to love Jesus more and more, she had this tension growing within her. On one hand, she loved her art. And she loved the idea of being this great, famous artist. But on the other hand, her heart was on fire for Jesus. And one day, she said this amazing... um, this amazing thing. I see now, as clear as daylight, that I cannot give myself to painting, whilst also pursuing wholeheartedly the kingdom of God. And this is actually um, one painting that I found. That you probably can't even read it, but if you read it, if you want to read it. Um, oh, thanks. And she decided she was going to give up her painting. Now, she still painted in her journal privately, but that was the end of her career as what would have been... She would have been a world-famous painter. We would be all knowing her now, but nobody knows her anymore. So she decided she was going to become a missionary. So she was refused by all the missionary organizations because she was a young woman with no experience. She had quite a weak heart. So she got two girlfriends and said to them, right, let's move to Algeria. So they moved to Algeria and spent the rest of their lives, so they were 30, I think she was 34 when she went, spent the rest of their lives reaching Muslims in Algeria. And can you imagine how dangerous it would have been in those days? And she still did the most beautiful paintings in her journal, that you can, you can find them online, they're, they're beautiful. But she became so, so deeply happy. She was set free because she didn't have this war within her. Should I be this famous artist? She was now just living for Jesus. She put to death the things of the world. Now, sometimes the things of the world, they're not bad things. Being a famous painter, that's not a bad thing. Maybe she should have done it. Maybe, we don't know. But for her personally, she knew she had to put That focus on the world to death. Now, I'm not saying for a second that we should quit our jobs or not do anything in the physical world. No, that's not what Paul's saying. Each one of us knows in our own conscience what we need to do. Are we giving too much focus to worldly things? Or is our focus on Christ and his kingdom, building his kingdom? Because that's the only thing that will last. And she had a massive impact in Algeria in those 40 years. And I love the story of when she died. She was, her heart, heart was getting weaker and weaker um, as an old lady. And she was in her bed and some friends came round and they sung a hymn together. Then she sat up and she looked out the window of her room. And she said, oh my goodness, look out the window. There's chariots of fire with horses And she could literally see chariots of fire with horses coming. And and the friends couldn't see it, but they were engaging and talking about this. And then she lay down and breathed her last breath and peacefully went to be with Jesus. I just think, wow, that was a woman who, she put to death the things of the flesh in an amazing way. She's a hero. So, I want to... I need a volunteer up on the stage now, and since Margaret has read so beautifully, I think we should get her back up, because she really was a star, so, Margaret, now, I want you to imagine, first of all, that you are not yet a Christian, okay, so, we're not talking about you as you are now, but I want you to sit here, okay, in a nice, comfortable chair, loafs nice and comfortable but you're not yet a Christian okay so please remember this is not you now okay because in Romans 8 Paul says 10 quite chilling terrifying things about us before we were saved so Margaret in verse 1 of Romans 8 you and I want you to hold these take these on board you are condemned okay It's quite harsh stuff. There is nothing you could ever do to get out of the condemnation on your life. Okay, you could never be a good enough woman. You are an amazing woman. You're so kind and good, but there's nothing you could ever do. Verse 2, you are under the law of sin and death. (laughs) That law is judging you. You could never match up to the perfect law. Verse 5, you live according to the flesh. You live according to the flesh. Your mind is set on what the flesh desires. Verse 6, the mind, your mind is governed by the flesh, which leads to death. Verse 7, you are hostile to God. And we've got to remember, this is a statement about every non-Christian. Is. And I want, I want this to motivate us to pray for people who don't yet know Jesus. And if you don't yet know Jesus, we would love to pray with you to let Jesus into your heart. Verse 7, you cannot submit to God's law. There's no chance. Verse 8, you live in the realm of the flesh. So you live in a realm called the flesh. And that can never change by your own strength. And this is a really chilling one. No matter how good you are, you can never please God. Now, we often think, you know, non Christians, they're good. Maybe they please God in some way. Paul says, you can never please God. Full stop. Verse 9 You do not have the Spirit of Christ in you, you do not belong to Christ. (laughs) Verse 10, this just gets worse and worse. You will die. And the last one, verse 15. You are a slave to fear. Okay. Now, Margaret, I want to invite you to the Alpha Course, which is starting soon. So remember this, everyone. So Margaret's going to come to the Alpha Course. We want to invite you to come to the cross, to come to Jesus. Here you go. (laughs) So let's give her a round of applause. She's becoming a Christian. And I want you to come and sit on this stool. Now this stool's not quite so comfortable. Okay? There's not much comfort here. (laughs) Quite hard to get on, are you okay? But Margaret, the moment you've become a Christian, there is no condemnation in your life. In fact, it's actually impossible for you to be condemned. All of your past sins, present sins, and even the sins you're gonna commit In five years' time, ten years' time. Do you know what? They are forgiven. They're covered. God does not see them when he looks at you. Okay? No condemnation. You can never be condemned. It's impossible. Verse 1. Again, you are in Christ Jesus. Now, in is a big word here. You are in Christ Jesus. You can never be out of Christ Jesus. Verse 2. Through Christ Jesus... You are set free from the law of sin and death. You have nothing to do with the law of sin and death anymore. It's gone. Verse 4. The righteous requirements of the law have been fully satisfied. Fully satisfied in you. Jesus did it all for you. God looks at you and says, You are righteous and perfect. Verse 4. You do not live according to the flesh. Now this one... Maybe we think this is about her good behavior, but all these things are about her position. God looks at Margaret and says, Margaret, you do not live in the flesh anymore. You live according to the Spirit. That's what God says about us. It's not about our behavior. These are all positional truths. All positional truths that Margaret lives according to the Spirit. That's who she is. And by the way, if we don't do this then we actually have to ask, are we actually Christians? Okay? And I know all of us are here because we are living in the Spirit. That's why we're here. We're not living in the flesh. Verse 5, Margaret, you have your mind set on what the Spirit desires. Verse 6, your mind is governed by the Spirit. And your mind is life and peace. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Verse 9, you are not in the realm of the flesh. You've moved into a new realm, the realm of the Spirit. Verse 10, Christ is in you. I need to speed up here. Verse 11, the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Verse 11, your mortal body will be made alive by the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, you are led by the Spirit of God. I'll race through these... You are a child of God, verse 15. You are not a slave to fear, verse 15. You have been adopted to sonship. You are an heir of God, verse 17. You share in Christ's sufferings, but also in his glory, verse 17, verse 18. You do suffer, but your present suffering is not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to you. The Spirit helps you in your weakness. The Spirit himself intercedes for you. Verse 28. In all things God works everything for your good. Verse 28. You have been called according to God's purpose. Wow. Verse 29. God foreknew you and predestined you. Verse 30. You are justified and you will be glorified. Verse 31, God is for you. Who could be against you? Verse 32, God will graciously give you all things. Verse 34, Christ Jesus is interceding for you. Verse 35, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And the last one, verse 37, in all these things, you are more than a conqueror through him who loves you. How do you feel now? (laughs) One. Isn't that incredible? Thank you so much, Margaret. You're amazing. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. So sorry, that's a lot of stuff to take in. And I encourage you just to maybe even print out this chapter and put it on the wall somewhere. These 40 truths about who we are is just phenomenal. I've run out of time, but I just want to conclude by just saying, God is pleading with us through the Apostle Paul. He's saying... We must know who we are. And this is the power. This is the powerful thing. When we know who we are, like Karen was saying, suddenly we have the strength to kill the flesh, to put it to death. Because the flesh is vicious. Sin is vicious. Sin is after us. Sin is not neutral. The enemy is after us to try and pull us away and cause death in our lives. We have to put sin to death. So I would love to just pray for us now that God would help us know who we are. So should we just close our eyes? Lord God, we would love to know who we are more. Lord, I really pray that it wouldn't be head knowledge. But over the next few weeks and months and years you come and illuminate in our hearts who we are in you. Show us who we are in you. And like Lilius Trotter, who put to death the stuff of the flesh, let us focus on the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, that we pray for a fresh anointing on every person to live in the realm of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.